What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Chike Ume, who's Senior Strategy Director at Essence Mediacom. That's two company names put together, Essence Mediacom, Mediacom being the media company. Chike, you are part of this mini-series of five trends. Today, we're going to talk about five trends in about 25 minutes. Before we get into the trends, we spoke a year-ish ago. How would you describe the past 12 months? your life, your experience of being alive on this planet Earth? Somewhat surprising, but somewhat predictable. A way to summarize the last 12 months, interesting things happened, other interesting things didn't happen, but yet I'm still here and I get a paycheck on the 1st and the 15th. That's life. Based on what you said, your brand essence is the word somewhat. Yes. It's a bit of this, it's a bit of that, it's somewhat something of a bit of stuff. Somewhat. A lot of little things. Being a strategist is being a master of a lot of little things. I know there's a bit of a fire in you. What does your fire burn for? I honestly just really like the weird, unexpected shit that happens that no one can predict. The things that really make you go like, oh, no matter how many of the millions and millions of trend reports that came out there, nobody could have guessed this was going to happen. And I think when that happens, you realize like, oh, life can be still pretty interesting, can be still pretty fun, can be still surprising in ways that you've never had before. And I think that is something that you kind of live for. And then there's the paycheck too, but like, that's fine. Okay. Paycheck. We got it. Somewhat in paycheck. There's somewhere on your brand on a page. I get it. How many hours a week do you think you spend inhaling the world? Like actively or passively, just like scrolling through stuff, reading stuff? I'd probably say like half my day every day. On the weekdays, actively for work. But on the weekends, even when I'm not working, I still read so many different things on so many different social spaces just to like look at shit. And I realized like, oh, this is cool. This is awesome. So maybe like 20 to 30 hours a week? I'd say so. It's funny because just assume that that's how we were. And then I, I remember in 2020, a lot of strategists were really burning out. And it's like, oh, that's because like for a living, you have to inhale the world and the world's not great right now. Not that it's always been great and not that it's been great for everyone at the same time either in history, but like you're inhaling that and then on a personal level and you're inhaling it for professional, like that's a lot, right? Have you burned out many times since 2020? I was on the verge of burning out until I expanded my definition of what inhaling the world was. Many strategists looked at inhaling the world as like, I'm reading the latest news article from the industry pub that I'm working on for the client that I'm working in, or I'm looking at social media, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I think if you vary your definition on what the world is, I started doing things like, I'm like, wow, there's so much just heinous stuff in the news. I'm just going to watch the latest new Netflix show that comes out. But you're still inhaling the world in a way because you're inhaling sort of a different type of story, a different type of narrative that actively like can influence how you brief, how you create an interesting insight. And I think when you expand your definition of the world, the world expands with you. And I think that's the sort of the best way to combat the idea of burning out for work. Because really, it's not just for work. I just like the world. And so the larger my world is, the more there is for me to like. Yeah. And you're still in the Pacific Northwest, which for those of you outside of the US is the northwest of the US, which is known for being, well, a bit rainy and a bit cloudy, but also very open, a lot of trees, a lot of hiking and walking going on out there. I would have imagined that Pacific Northwest, you'd be pretty chilled all the time. But if you're glued to the internet and the world for like 20, 30 hours a week, it's going to take a toll on you, isn't it? Oh, yeah, 100%. I only put hiking on my dating profile. I don't actually hike. So like, I'm just a poser, but still open areas, open spaces, and all these things that you can do to enhance what the world is beyond dimensions of a smartphone screen. Let's get into these trends. I know you're going to bring it. What is trend number one that you think we all need to be paying attention to this year? 
I think the first one is probably the most expected one. And I think 2023 is probably going to be the year of the great AI experiment. Every brand and honestly, the world at large will probably have to start to grapple with the implications of what it truly means to have an AI assisted society. It takes me back to all the times in the mid 2000s when chatbots really started to take off and you started to do things like the Nike chalkbot at the sporting event to things like mental health. And I think like brands, society, consumers, everyone is going to have to grapple with how far can you go with AI and how far is AI worthwhile? And I think that's very interesting from a couple of perspectives, from a creator's perspective, from just general ethics perspective. I think like there's the lens of AI that took over the internet a couple months ago where everybody on their Instagram was showcasing all these AI generated photos in themselves. But there was like also a survey of folks that said like a majority of folks would actually be okay with AI being involved in choosing their love life and the person they go out with. And like, that's wild to me, but it's a thing. But then there's also the bad side of it where it's like, there's actually a recent story about a hospital that was giving free mental health care to its patients, but they didn't tell anyone that the person on the other end was actually just an AI. And so a bunch of people signed up for an experiment. It was still free health care, but at the end of time, it's like Skynet was telling you to deal with your family trauma. And like, that's a weird thing to try to grapple with. I got a couple of things to add to that. Is it the Turing test, which is where computer scientists try to design programs that trick a judge into believing whether it's human or not human or something like that, right? Is that the Turing test? Yes. It's either that test or a test like it that I think one of the people who's passed it was Australian because they did Australian banter. We have a way with banter, which is just deadpanned and you don't know what's real or not real. But apparently an Australian, I don't know if it was the Turing test or something similar, they kind of got through this test and one out of thousands of people over over a very long period of time. Two is, I think it's really interesting because we're talking about trends today. I would say five to seven years ago, AI, machine learning, blockchain, a little bit of Bitcoin back then, they were very common on trends reports. But as the examples you laid out just there, they suddenly became really real to a lot of people in the past few months, like with the artistic set of images you could generate if you, I think it was like $20, $30 as an app, right? And then everyone's posting on Instagram how attractive they look and everybody did look attractive. Amazing. And then you got ChatGPT. I think Ryan Reynolds is probably the first, I think it was with Mint Mobile at the start of the year, reading out a script that ChatGPT, I believe, had written. It became real. It's just so much more real and tangible. Like, again, the one of the other things that was always in every trend report, because I used to work on some retail clients, was like, AR will revolutionize the way that you do retail. And it's like, will it really? But this is so different with AI, because you could just see so many different applications already happening. Like, there's a company that's willing to pay people to let an AI help them run a trial as their own lawyer to represent themselves with headphones in the ear without the judge knowing. And it's like, because you can actually use it in so many different real scenarios and cases, I think that's why the most interesting thing from brands, from my perspective, is like, how far are you going to be willing to go is going to be sort of the question for brands. Because brands have made chatbots, brands have done all these kinds of things. And we always want to talk about how much human we want the online response to be between a brand and a consumer. I think brands are really going to have to ask questions. How far are you willing to go to simulate that experience without having a real human at the other end, regardless of how that execution manifests. You find out things and you think things for a living. Do you personally feel threatened by artificial intelligence? Me personally, I don't think so for myself, but I could easily see how more creative people that make their jobs on actually making creative art could feel threatened. I think for myself, 
we're supposed to challenge ourselves with finding like unexpected connections or things that you just wouldn't see that things that are in the zeitgeist, but honestly, they're common sense. It's just no one's put them to paper yet. But I think for people that like generate things, let's say photographers to generate headshots. I saw something on LinkedIn the other day where someone was like, I used AI to generate my new headshot. Photographers should watch out. And I was like, ooh, that's slightly dystopian. Just pay a real person to take a photo of you and have loving care and attention. Or you could just pay an AI to do it. If you want to make like, slightly riffs of like licensed images and things like that. You could just get AI to do it. When your livelihood depends on creative manifestation of things that are like not wholly original, but can be offshoots of the original or things that are more common sort of use cases, I think that's where your livelihood is going to be threatened. Otherwise, you're probably pretty safe. It's human-like. It's still not very human, but the essence of being human is being able to be original in a sense. So the more you can be original, I think the less AI will have to threaten you with. Ah, smart person. Hey, pull your mind out of those timesheets for a second and take a look at the Sweathead website. We have three membership levels, starter mode, flight mode, and beast mode. They give you access to a variety of strategy masterclasses, conferences, accelerators, and online learning, some of which has been known to make people cry because they like it, they like it, they feel seen. Make the most of your mind this year or any year and visit www.sweathead.com today. Now back to the interview. Let's get to trend number two, GK. Trend number two is something that's a a bit of a manifestation of things we've already been seeing over the last couple of years. And I think it's going to be like the anti-establishment is the new establishment. And I think because of all of the series of disasters that have hit, I think over the last four or five years, there's just this growing sort of lack of belief in the overall establishment. That's more of the norm than the outskirts, a lack of belief in government, a lack of belief in social policy and things like that. Which is why I also think that brands over the last couple of years have accelerated their movement to become holistic wellness brands versus just brands that deal with their sort of target or their product. So, for example, Hinge did something I really liked a couple of years ago, I think a year or two ago, where a big part of having a relationship is being able to say that you are a healthy, mentally stable person. And a big part of that is being able to go to therapy. I'm not saying that I'm mentally stable. Other people are mentally stable. I'm just here. But one of the problems is there wasn't a lot of Black therapists out there. Those people deal with sort of a, an essentially specific set of circumstances, a specific kind of therapy can come from having someone that looks like you on the other end. So Hint actually sponsored Black therapists to go to college, finish a degree, and actually put that out there. That's what I mean by like brands becoming wellness brands. I think that's why you get all of these purpose-driven narratives, but it kind of comes at a cost and a price. Where like 73% of people think companies should always act for good and do good things and sort of bridge that societal gap. But honestly, 71% of people also don't believe the promises that companies make. That's why I think like 23 is going to be the year of the anti-establishment. And the most radical thing I think a brand can do in the next year is just keep their promises. That's anti-establishment. As soon as you said that, I feel like the most obvious example of that is actually in... Washington, D.C. right now, that you basically have an anti-establishment arm of the Republican Party holding the Republican Party hostage to get the Speaker of the House elected. We're not going to descend into a discussion about politics, but that's probably the biggest version of this that I've seen outside of the brand world recently, right? That is fully true because you also have this, and I'll get into this for one of my later trends, where it's like, You have that at a macro scale from a politics level. You have that at a local scale where people are really looking to peers for information more than they are trusted sources. And all of that stems from this idea of, I don't know who's lying to me or who's lying to me specifically for a corporate or political purpose, 
but I know the people next to me, so I got to do what I got to do. I find that one a little bit hard to reconcile as far as how can a brand use that? Can you give another practical example of how a brand might harness this thought that anti-establishment is the new establishment, especially if they're like, if it's a Nike, which is near where you are? Probably one way to look at it is like, I talked about like keeping your promises. And yes, that's one. Like if you do a social good program, actually commit to the social good program and keep doing it even after people aren't looking. I think another thing could be like a radical sense of honesty on behalf of the brand in a way that could even be self-deprecating. Like for example, Craft Singles, I think recently did this where they had this really interesting, like just creative idea advertising uh, execution where they sponsored a rap battle between Kraft and other cheeses. And they were fully willing to like have the other side go in on Kraft, be self-deprecating, be humorous, not too serious. That's probably also an antidote where it's like when you're willing to use a British term, take the piss out of yourselves. It makes people feel like they can trust you just a little bit more because you're not saying something like in these uncertain times, we're here for you. You're saying something more along the lines of in these uncertain times, we're just as uncertain as you. Like we're just trying. Let's go to trend number three. Trend number three. This one is a little bit more somewhat ethereal, but somewhat straightforward. I'm calling it hedonism. Why not? And I think it's a result of all of these things, the anti-establishment, the dystopian stuff that's been happening in the world. And I think there's going to be a much more significant focus on short-term pleasure versus long-term stability. And especially with a world as unstable as the one we currently occupy. I think a couple of examples, like there's research that shows that Impulse trips on a whole are up. People aren't planning trips out there. They're just like, I need to get out. Let me go to LA or let me go to Hawaii or let me go to Canada with little to 24 hour notice. They're just going on a trip. There's also this stat that talked about how 68% of Gen Z consumers now use pay-as-you-go services. And they use it because specifically they can indulge in the things that they want now versus saving for it later, which is, again, more of a long-term gratification versus short-term satisfaction type of thing. We're not going to talk about how pay-as-you-go services actually make money because that's a deep, deep, dark hole. But I think the idea of gratify me now because I don't know what the future is going to hold, and honestly, the future isn't really looking out for me in general, is sort of an interesting sentiment at the forefront of some consumers' minds, especially younger consumers. I'm into hedonism. Do you have an example of recent hedonism that's been in your life? I think two weeks ago, I decided to go to LA for four days without telling anyone. And I drank a lot of things that probably should be healthier to drink. The impulse of that was just like, there was a lot going on. I was like, I just needed some time for myself. I wanted to go have fun. And that's sort of the way it manifested most recently in my life. I think like to add on to that from a brand example, what could be interesting is Do you remember from like the early onset of YouTube when every brand was trying to figure out how to go viral and like travel brands would do this thing where they would go to airports and they would be like, hey, we see you. You want to take a trip to the UK for 50 bucks and it's first class. What do you feel like? Me? 50K? That's amazing. I think maybe we might even see the resurgence of that because I think that could be funny and cool and just like an example of instant gratification of some sort. But it just takes me back to like all of those early we went viral videos where your case study was we hit a million hits in the first 24 hours of uploading it. I'm curious to see how brands play with that because it's one thing to acknowledge it. But then if you're encouraging hedonism and the pants fall off the world in the next few months, then you're not going to look that good. I'm sure insurance brands hate everything that I'm talking about, but like everybody else will be fine. You got to admit, like a lot of the brands that focus on chaos and mayhem that are connected to the insurance world, they are kind of talking about, well, sometimes hedonism or hedonism gone wrong. 
All right, let's go trend number four. This is less of a trend and more of a, and a statement. I think in 2023, we really should admit to all of ourselves that gaming really is a thing. I specifically mean gaming, not the metaverse, not the weird meta experience of Horizon Worlds. I mean gaming, period. The gaming audience continues to grow year over year, whether you're talking about Roblox or the latest God of War. What I hope happens on a larger industry perspective is a wider embrace of gaming opportunities and moments that exist well outside of the metaverse. Now, this is probably part of the media side of me talking versus the creative side. But like one recent example I could use as a direct comparison is like, there was recently the Game Awards, but the Game Awards easily beat the Golden Globes in terms of viewership across platforms. Golden Globes is like 6 million viewers. The Game Awards had like 20 million viewers across platforms on Twitch, etc. That's such a wide audience of like a moment that happens in culture that truly generated a lot of conversation. Or there's even smaller things like Games Done Quick, which is like a biannual charity event of gamers that run charitable streams and actually have raised over like, I think it's like 100 million, 200 million for charity. I hope that 2023 is the moment that larger media and larger creative groups embrace the idea of gaming outside of games or gaming outside of just, we put a new skin into Roblox or we sponsored a world and meta worlds or the horizon worlds or whatever, but just like, look at it like we do TV goers or entertainment goers or movie goers and start to understand how we play with that from a creative perspective. I'll just give a shout out to a couple of other people as you gather an example, hopefully in your head. Uh, one is friends over at Sonic Boom. They often publish reports about brands doing great work in gaming and even with NFTs. So look up Sonic Boom. And then in 2022, I interviewed James Watley, who's CSO of Diva. They do a lot of work with gaming. So if you're interested about how to get involved with gaming, go search up that particular episode. Chike, do you have an example of a brand, hypothetical or real, of, of a brand getting involved with gaming in a way that you like? One recent example, I think I saw this the other day because I had to go shopping for clothes for the first time in the Blue Moon, was even outside of like a gaming release, ASOS, which is, I think, just a really popular brand among young folks for clothing. They had a whole sort of clothing design set around popular PlayStation title called Horizon Zero Dawn. And they had like a full, just outfit collaborations, jackets and shirts and all of them, honestly, they were pretty good. Like I would have bought them. But I think that's the idea of what I mean. It's like, you don't have to just put a skin in a game. Like you can make these collaborations because things that once were seen as somewhat cheesy, it's like everybody's a gamer in some way, fashion or form, whether it's a mobile gamer or they consume gaming content online, even if they don't play a game themselves. Again, much like moviegoers or entertainment goers, like there are so many different ways of understanding the culture and putting that out there. And I think that's probably like my most recent favorite example of just like, they just did a really dope clothing line that people liked and put it on their site. And it's like, this is us. That's all. All right. Trend number five. I think for this one, I'm calling it community is unity. And I think this is sort of the waterfall effect of all the other trends we talked about. Like at least, at least the first three. Gaming is more of a fun one. But I think because of the economy, inflation, politics, and all these other bunch of facts, like anti-disestablishmentarianism, there's really more of an emphasis on sort of down-to-earth interactions at both a local level and a digital level. And part of that is just because of economic needs. Other that is just a general sense of distrust. Like, for example, I think the rate of Americans, specifically Americans, living in multi-generational homes is four times higher now than it was in the 1970s. Because as someone that's been trying to buy a house and can't, I can really understand why it would be that you live with your parents or you live with a commune of folks and like you're building a stronger sense of community versus the olden days where it's like you moved out on your own, you've got your own place. That was you becoming a part of the community in that sense, in that way. 
A more digital example of that is that Google search has been upping a bit of the campaign to get more people using search because they're finding that younger folks, due to more recent reports, are searching for things on TikTok versus Google search because they want to look for answers for things from their peers or people that look like them versus an algorithm that tells them Quora gave you an answer 12 years ago. And it's still the right answer, but it's Quora. I don't want to go there. I want to go to James on TikTok. It's the same thing, but it's James. There's also the thing like where Discord has been having a meteoric rise year over year. And Discord is probably one of the biggest examples of like smaller digital communities making it for themselves, by themselves, with themselves. And I think that sort of indicates really a big desire to learn and communicate with peers versus top-down sources. That means that the community is going to take a much higher priority than anything else in 2023 and moving forward. Let's hope so. But also, are you telling me that buying a house in the game Bloxburg in Roblox is not as good as buying a house in real life, especially because you said trend number four is gaming is a thing, GK. I'll just say this. I tried buying a house in Bloxburg, but I was outbid by Snoop Dogg. So it feels like it's about the same experience as real life. That's as much as I can promise you. Ouch. Oh my gosh. Chike, let me ask you a question. Now, you're a senior strategist. What are you hoping for your career in the next few years? Obviously, you've come through the pandemic. You're literally in the same room that I spoke to you about 12 months ago. What I hope for my career in the next few years is what I've been able to do for the last couple of years. One thing that you really learn when you're a younger strategist is that nobody has time to teach you strategy. You just kind of get a brief and Godspeed, good luck, hope you survive. We'll see you on the other side. And for the last couple of years, I've been blessed with the opportunity to actually be able to teach strategy in a way where it's like it's generating thought leadership, it's teaching how to write insights, tensions, how to actually find something that's interesting and make it relevant for your client. And I realized that's probably been the most fulfilling thing for me in the last couple of years, even beyond client work or even awards that I've been able to have a pleasure to be a part of. I think my next couple of years, I hope that I get an even bigger opportunity or continued opportunity to continue teaching people how to do this job that I think we collectively have done for so long. Because candidly, after you've worked on a range of clients and you've done a couple of things, the next brief is the same as the last brief, the same as the last brief. You have the same ways that you do it. The longer you are in strategy, the bigger your toolkit of tricks is. And it's like, there's less surprises, but a bigger surprise is having someone you're teaching all of a sudden come up with something that you would never have expected. And you're like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, but I'm going to put a little truth behind the sentence that you said, which is nobody has time to teach you. To me, it's not just about time. Not everybody is a teacher. I teach. And a lot of people that I talk with, they might have taught a little bit in high school or in college or in their 20s. And then 20 years later, they're like, I got to do that again because it's so fulfilling. I think a lot of people are wired for that. Sure, that's different from coaching on the job, but also not a lot of people are good coaches on the job. How do I know that? I've spoken to heads of HR of massive agencies that I've worked in in the US where they're like, people have to do one-on-ones because they don't even talk to their team very often, let alone coach them on the job. So I love hearing what you're saying and I hope that you do continue to teach and coach. And for those of you out there who are tempted to do it, it's so fulfilling. Do it. What I found actually is when I've been in a little bit of crisis or a little bit of frustration, teaching other people has reminded me how much I like what I do. 100%. You know, I hear myself being excited about the topic. I'm like, oh my God, I love this. And I love teaching these people. And maybe I love these people. It's a form of love for me. I don't know. I don't mean to be too weird. A specific example of that is like, at Essence, I think like five years ago, I started a program called The Takeaway. And it was specifically like a thought leadership program 
where it was specifically only run by junior strategists in order to teach them how to do strategy. And I think over the course of five years, I've been able to teach 30 plus strategists. A lot of them have gone on to do great things. But the things that they came up with or the connections that they made, I would regularly get emails from other parts of the agency being like, wait, can I join strategy? Well, this is great. And it became both a teaching tool and low-key a recruiting tool. But at the end of the day, it was always about getting people to outdo themselves every single time. There's just such a pleasure in that. Unlike doing a great idea for a client, you're bettering someone for themselves versus for an RO, uh, a KPI. I'm going to talk through you to people listening that for those of you who are coming up right now, who are trying to establish yourselves, do it, but then pass it on. There's a book called Creativity by Mahaley Cheski Mahaley. I mispronounce that name quite often. It is a difficult one. He's famous for the concept flow. He examined for decades the lives of creative people. And one of the most important things many of them had in common is a senior mentor when they were young said, no you're good at this, keep going. Never underestimate the power of you saying something gentle like that to someone. You could change their lives for decades. So Chike, I love hearing that. I, I get excited when I hear about people who teach and then people who visibly joyful ab about teaching. Chike, what we went through today, is any of it written up on the internet? And if so, where might people find it? This is just me talking in the mirror to myself after reading a bunch of trend reports. But if people want to find me online, you could either find my LinkedIn, you can go to my Instagram, Nigeria Got Game, or you could go listen to the podcast that I run called The Takeaway Unscripted, where it's two strategists making wild conjectures and unsupported ramblings about marketing and advertising, and hopefully do something a little bit interesting. Chike, thank you so much for being with me here on Sweated today to discuss these trends. We covered the great AI experiment and AI-assisted society, number one. Number two, anti-establishment as the new establishment. Three, hedonism, which we defined as effort. Four, gaming is a thing. And five, community is unity. May you have a wonderful 2023, Chike, and I hope to speak to you again soon. Likewise, Mark. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sweathead. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend, subscribe to our newsletter, find us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Sweathead. And if you're interested in finding out about our strategy memberships, company training or books, visit sweathead.com. Whoop, whoop.